You're listening to the iFanboy.com Pick of the Week podcast, episode 321, brought to you by C2E2 and iFanboy members just like you. Welcome to the iFanboy.com Pick of the Week podcast. This is episode 321. I am Josh Flanagan. I'm here with Connor Kilpatrick. Hello. And Ron Richards. How you doing, Pepper? Oh, that's nice. That's coming Pepper. Back. They really <laughs> haven't put that into usage enough. I'm bringing it back. Nice, nice. All right. Uh, at iFanboy.com, we like comic books. That's why we started the website. It's why we're there all the time. Comic books are very important to us is what I'm saying. And because of that, we read them. And then uh, every week, one of us has the job of picking the one that they like best out of the books they read and calling that the pick of the week, writing a review about it, explaining your reasons why, and letting other people talk about that as well. And then we come here and we talk about it on this podcast and other books from the week and, and some other stuff that's going to be coming up. And we try to make it entertaining. That's really that's what we're here for, and make it fun for you. Before we get going, we're going to make it less fun for you, B, if you haven't read your books. There's spoilers. We're going to talk about what happens in the books. If you haven't read them, then come back when you have, or, or throw caution to the wind. We're also cool with that. This week, the captain has the pick. Now, for two years, Ron and I have been talking to you about Punisher Max and telling you how it's been one of the best books in Marvel, one of the best books coming out in comics. Are you saying are books- this is me, you? Or, yes, or you, you. It's Royal You. It's you. Oh, okay. You were included in the Royal You, as well as the it's, listeners. We've told the listeners yeah, as well. It's, it's, pretty it's, much on an every, almost like nearly every issue basis. Yeah, the listeners, the viewers, Josh, everyone. I, I know they're not everyone. viewers, Connor. Yeah, sometimes Punisher Max has been one of the best books for the last two years. We've been singing its praises. Uh, it was pick of the week a, little, a couple months ago. This issue twenty two is the final issue of Punisher Max, and not only is it the final issue of Punisher Max, it's really the final issue of the story of the Punisher Max character that's been happening for I think it's eight years. Started with Garth Ennis, and it went through. There was a brief one-year period with a bunch of guys wrote it, like Dwayne Swierczynski and uh, Greg Hurwitz and people like that. And then finally, this uh, in the last two years, Jason Aaron and Steve Dillon took it over. And Steve Dillon is notable because he started the whole, I would say, Punisher Renaissance with Garth Ennis back in the Marvel Knights days. Yeah, and then leading into Punisher Max, uh, leading into this series. And this is an issue where the main character, the Punisher, is dead. He died in between. I think he died. Ron, am I wrong? He died in between the issue, didn't he? The end of the last issue, basically. I well, mean, he, he was shot at all to hell, but he was still yeah. staggeringly alive. Well, no, but the, the last issue ended with him collapsing right at the door of his house. And sure. So, so, he's, yeah. so, but his, I guess, his heart stops in between issues, and this issue is, opens with him on a slab in the morgue, and he's dead. And it's all about uh, an old, awesomely grizzled Nick Fury. Awesomely grizzled. Because it's it's the max it's the max line, so the characters actually age, and this is a you know an old man with a receding hairline and wrinkles, and go, uh, basically cleaning up the mess that was the Punisher. He goes in and he makes takes care of the body, and he t- takes care of the hideout. And he cleans up the the evidence and not covering it up, but sort of just sort of wrapping up because he's he's a government official and taking it away from the the local cops and wrapping it up and making sure that nothing really gets out to the press. And it was it was sort of a eulogy to the character. In an issue where the character was barely in it, I mean, Frank Castle's not really in it at all. You see him on the slab, you see, you sort of see, see some other images, but really, he's, it's all about Nick Fury. This issue, sort of closing the book on the Punisher with a flamethrower. Yes, um, and it got me thinking that not only was this expertly written and drawn, but we don't often get endings with superheroes, and I don't know what you call the Punisher a superhero, but we will for the purposes of this discussion. You don't get these kind of endings with characters from Marvel or DC. And yes, there's, this is not the quote-unquote Marvel Universe Punisher. It's not the one you see in Greg Rucka's book. But it is a fairly recognizable Marvel character. And we don't often get their full arc. We got a complete character arc over these last eight years ending with his death. And, and then really, we've said it before and everyone said it before, the only way the Punisher story ends is with him, his, him dying. And in that sense, it's very moving because of that. It's not like... And I don't want to take away from, from independent superhero characters where we see their full arc. You got it with Ultimate Peter Parker. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's true. Although we'll I know, no, I, I know what you're saying, and I absolutely we'll agree see. that was a little different because. But we'll see if it sticks with the whole Spider-Man thing coming up in later in this year. But I mean, this was this rarely happens, and and, and you're right, Spider-Man was like that. But again, even though these two, it's rare that you get a, an ending for a character. And really, I think a lot of angst that comes from readership is that there there there's a nagging need for closure, and the stories never end. And we're going to talk about that later in the show, uh, in the email section, but. 
you don't get that satisfaction you get with, with a lot of other fictional characters. You know, Sherlock Holmes died. Robin Hood died. And that's part of their legend is the ending. You know, you know Robin Hood's story ends. It is not the same story unless he shoots his arrow to, to, so that his friends can bury him. You know, Sherlock Holmes' the story doesn't end unless he, he fights Moriarty to the death on Reichenbach Falls. And it, 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 there's, some, there's, there's a little bit less specialness when the story never ends. And you take that into account when you read superhero comics. But when it does end in a very satisfying way, it's all the better. And this, this was, Ron, one of the first issues I read this week and by far the best. Nothing even came close to it, to this issue. No, it was really good. I mean, and there, there were some other books that I really, really enjoyed. That, no, that there were, there were other good books I, this week, but for me, well, this yeah, was like. Yeah, no, no. So for, for me, I don't know if I would have made this my pick of the week only because, I mean, it was a great finale and it was really great, well-written. And I do love old Nick Fury. I kind of love the... I love the idea. You know, I know it goes against you know co- you know uh, conventional wisdom, but I kind of love the idea of the real time aging, like Nick Fury actually being old and grizzled in this way. It, that it we, makes the we, life model decoy a lot less economical. Well, that's true. Yeah, you're but, constantly no. having to update. <laughs> but I but I kind of enjoy that aspect of of what Max brought to the table and like even with the old Nick Fury Max series that I know that everybody hated and but with this with, with I love that series. yeah so did I series. but um you know but the idea of him being you know both both Frank and him aging in real time and actually going back to Vietnam and and being somewhat more realistic in terms of how old he would be now I really like that aspect but this was you know this was uh, like you, I I agree with you I can't imagine a better way just to end this it just ended as you as you would expect you know with Nick Fury kind of like I said cleaning cleaning up the mess and in surprising ways as well too I mean kind of a little a little ways you know not what you would expect in terms of Nick Fury kind of getting his hands dirty <laughs> there were little nods to to yep. old things like they found Punisher's War Journal, yep. which was written in the same way that they used to write it in the old Marvel comics. And Fury, of course, burns it before the cops can get to it. And then, then in a scene very reminiscent of The Departed, he goes and he kills the Kingpin's wife, who was basically the last man standing from the whole war that we've been going on for the last two years. Yep. And then the very end, when you think all hope is lost, the city of New York has risen up. Uh, and taking the name of the Punisher, and they're they're fighting they're fighting evil. They're 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 attacking bat drug dealers with bats. And they're burning it down crack houses, and they're they're t- you know they're they've been inspired by the. It's almost, it was so similar to the Dark Knight Returns. That was sort of exactly version. what I was about to say. Yeah, yeah, very reminiscent. In that Nick Fury is all sad because his friend's dead, and he thinks that the the, the, the city's going to slide back into chaos. And then at the end of the, the New Yorkers rise up in his name. So it was a very. I thought if you took this issue, and I didn't read the whole Max run. But I did. I've been. I have the whole Punisher Knights omnibus, and I have read a little bit of the Max, and I read this whole this this current run, and it really does feel like a very satisfying character arc. And you don't really get that with these recognizable corporate property characters. And and I think uh, if you've been a Punisher Max fan this whole time, it had to have been a really satisfying eight years and way to end the series. And Jason Aaron and Steve Dillon did just a wonderful job this whole time. I mean, what was great about this whole series, I mean, specifically not the Punisher Max in general, but the the Jason Aaron and Steve Dillon was just the the wonderful consistency of this book. You mm-hmm. never had not one issue. There were no peaks and valleys. It was just it, – it, it – it approached itself is what it was, and it, what it was was fantastic, and it maintained that for every issue. Yeah. And while while bigger things happened, or there were crazy fights in some issues and not other issues, but month in month out, you knew exactly what you were getting with this title. And I've never, I don't think I've read a extended twenty something story that delivered on its promise. You know, and this is you know kind of goes back to the you know dedicated creative team kind of argument. You know, Jason Aaron, Steve Dillon had a t- great twenty two issue run, and it was you know you got exactly what you would hope for with it, and it was awesome. But also the it's the idea that we said before the Punisher's tough because in at least as he stands in the Marvel universe, it's hard to tell stories with him. He can't you can't really use him to his full potential in the Marvel universe and he's basically a guy who kills bad guys. But when you have the added element of a character who ages and goes through the stages of life while doing this, then you can tell a story. Then you can tell a years long story. Right. And it's interesting yeah. because what and basically you've here's a sixty five year old man running around New York with machine guns, which is you know they 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 name his age at the end. So like that's more interesting than 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 sort of the repetitive nature you get in the Marvel universe when it, when you can actually have the ravages of time taking place over this character, which adds a whole layer to it. Plus the whole you know and this this basically he spent the last year looking back at his life and. And, and how horrible it was. And that, that's more interesting than, than I think what you get in the regular Marvel Universe character, which, and I read that series and it's fun, yep. but not in the same way this one was. Yeah. But, and you get a, that last page with the, just the, the grave is, you know, it speaks volumes. Yeah. I, hopefully they collect this in a single volume if you're all interested. You don't need to have read any other Max stories to enjoy this. 
you don't need to have read the Marvel Knights stuff to enjoy this. You can, they, you know, this is a, this was a great series all on its own. Yep. And the Dave Johnson covers, I mean, like really the like a singular package in its own little world. This was just a great two years or two plus years, whatever, or two years exactly. Longer because of this, there was some delays at, the, yeah. at some point, but it yeah. was it was very very good. Yeah, I think any other week you probably would have seen Secret Avengers twenty two as the pick of the week. Oh, so you like Secret Avengers twenty two? I really liked it, but I but I, I knew that go, I know I love Remender, I love Hardman, so I don't yeah. know, it wasn't exactly a big leap to say I'm probably gonna like this issue. True, if, but 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 they didn't phone it in. No, That's, no, and yeah. I think what, what I came away thinking more than anything because they're not like going this, to. Right, exactly. This seems to me to be the sort of Avengers version of Uncanny X Force, in that it's it's a secret hit squad full full of people who go out and do things uh, covertly while they're on other teams. And it's sort of separate from the other Mar- Avengers comics that exist on its own. It feels very much in that in that way tonally, not exactly the same, but conceptually, it feels similar to Uncanny X Force. Yeah, no, I I I was so so happy when I read this because you know first off you know like coming off you know Warren Ellis pretty much you know resuscitated this title. I thought remember I was saying before Warren Ellis went to Secret Avengers that this title was dead that they just didn't yep. know they didn't know what to do with it. It didn't have a purpose. I didn't see where it fit in into the Marvel universe. All that you know it just felt like Brubaker launched the idea and kind of got tired of it. And then you know and we had the the uh, you know the Nick Spencer issues and stuff. It just never I felt it never delivered on its promise. And while the Warren Ellis issues were fun and resuscitated the title. It still didn't deliver on the process on, on the promise because those stories you could tell were out of continuity. They were just kind of one and done. They didn't really impact anything. But finally, reading this, like it's like okay, yeah, now this this is a corner of the Marvel universe that I want to see go on for a while. And this is you know talk about you know a good launching point. You know, and the little touches of imagination and working within the Marvel universe that you know the fact you know the satellite being um, tiny and and a pim teleporter that shrinks you when you go to the satellite, awesome. And then all the way leading up to the the reveal at the end with the robots with the uh, d- the descendants, the sentient various robots of the Marvel universe. Just when you saw that last page reveal and that like uh, you know Illuminati s table with the tying it into the Shadow Council with the with the uh, Nick Fury uh, guy. The life yep. metal decoy, and then the vision and Jocasta and a Sentinel and a Doombot and Lady Deathstrike. I mean, this is it hits on all those points, but at the same time, you don't need to know any of these people to enjoy it. And the Hardman art was wonderful. Yeah, uh, but let's no, get you... to the real heart of, of what what happened with this. This is how you write Clint Barton. <laughs> y- really? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know what the fuck he's wearing, but <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh... I mean, how are you supposed to jump around and shoot a bow and arrow with all that patch, all those pouches? I don't know pouches. Pouches. He's got <laughs> he's got a thigh quiver. He got an extra thigh quiver. He's got uh, he's he's got a problem. Uh, yeah. I, I I have a question because I don't know if I missed it, but I couldn't find it. So Captain Britain thinks that Captain America was putting him in charge. Yes. Yeah. And then Hawkeye comes along and is like, no. And I was like, well, wait, who had they resolve that? So who did he like? The- they resolve it in that Hawkeye said, I'm in charge, and Cap didn't say anything. Yeah. Huh. You know? yeah. It's, it's approval by omission. Which, yeah. which is funny, because I forgot about Hawkeye. In the first couple of pages, it's Captain America and Captain Britain. And I was like, awesome. Yeah. Look, at, look how great Harbin draws Cap. This is, this is awesome. And then Hawkeye should have went, oh, I forgot. Shit. Well, you know what's <laughs> nice about that is that for years, the really fun part about Hawkeye was that he would clash with Cap. Listen, yeah. old man. But they've since resolved that. Yep. Uh, they love each other. They respect each other. Substitute Brian Braddock in there. Let's do it again. It works, yeah. You know, and I got and I got to admit, as a Captain Britain fan, mm-hmm. I am very happy. Oh. <laughs> I am very happy. Not Slightly only more happy than Gabriel Hardman is. Not not only not only in the characterization. I mean, because because real realistically, you know, remember writing Captain Britain. This is a character who, despite being around in the modern Marvel universe for a good twenty so years. I mean, because he he was around in the seventies and early eighties. He was uh, Spider Man's roommate in uh, the old Marvel team up issues. Brian Braddock was over in the states studying. You know, was a student and he and he roomed with Peter Parker, which was fun. Um, and then Alan Moore and and. Alan, uh, Alan Davis did their take on him in the early 80s, and then Claremont picked him up with Excalibur, and then we've had that through the 90s, and then in the 2000s, Paul Cornell did Captain Britain and MI-13, stuff like that. But for a character who's been along this time, he's really a blank slate because he's had no personality. Yeah. Throughout those years, and the kind of thing where you know, so despite there being history and stuff like that, none of it ties back to the character. So Remender really is is taking that and actually giving him some depth, depth, and giving him some substance. Um, and then on top of that, for not liking the character, Gabe Hardman draws him probably the best I've seen since Alan Davis. 
everyone, but everyone looks yeah. great in this issue. Yeah. I love the I love this helmet, the Captain Britain helmet. I love with the with the British flag. I love this, you know, because he's gone through a couple of different costumes. I love that they went back to the classic one, and this is great. This is just this is a ride that I am I cannot wait to go on with this. Which book. which which Ant Man is this? Uh, it's Ant- the oh, jerk. The Scott Lang, no Scott Lang, the dead one. No, Scott Lang's, Scott Lang's dead. dead one. It's the jerk. Whatever. It's the, the one. Does he Kirk grow one. like? Does he grow like Giant Man? Apparently, I don't. I guess so. Yeah, Giant Man's on the cover. All right. Well, no, well, yeah, because Giant Man's he's well, Giant Man's in it because he's outside the satellite. He's in space. Well, on the cover there's Giant Man, but there's no Ant Man. Oh, there is an Ant Man. No, outside the satellite. So Pim's on the team too. Yeah, Pim's no. on the team too. Yeah, Ant Man's on the guy outside Aaron. is Pim. Yeah. Right, correct. And that's Giant Man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we got Pim, and you have Ant Man. Jerk Ant Man. Yeah. And then you have Venom joining next issue. Yep. This is gonna be a fun book. It's I, mean, I just I feel like I feel it in my bones. Yep. In your bones. In my bones. Wow. <laughs> deep, it could be arthritis. Deep, deep in your bones. But, it's either Arthritis or it's Secret Avengers, one of the two. I, no, I could do without Valkyrie. Honestly, I could do without Valkyrie on the team. But you need that kind of character. You need that kind of bombastic Thor to kind well, of th- bruise yeah, I'll tell you what can. she does. Yeah. She makes it so that Black Widow gets to be something other than the love foil. Yeah, that's true. Now yeah. they have each other to sort of talk to and be like, these guys are idiots. And, yeah. and that, that isn't that a lot. And, and, and she's also the power of the whole thing other than Captain Britain. She's got the, yeah. she's got the muscle. Yep. So, yeah, this is gonna be great. This is I just I can't wait for the for the next issue. Severed number seven came out and that ended the miniseries by Scott Snyder, Scott Tuft, and Attila Futaki. And I thought it ended really well. There was a bit at the end that took me out of it a little bit, but on the whole, I thought it was a really solid horror story. That, yeah, that was that was a very fun and interesting to read. The arm severing moment was a bit much for me. Well, that was the part when he, he you know, so the, the, in this issue, the kid is finally confronted with the, the reality of his, of his uh, I guess, friend. His friend is a serial killer and a murderer, and uh, he gets ch- chained up in the basement, and they, they, the friend hacks off his arm, which I thought, you know, from the blood loss, probably would have killed him. Well, no, he, uh, he, he heated up the blade so it cauterized the suit. He was still bleeding in the art. Uh, true, yeah, yeah. Less, which though. Is, yeah, it was, that was the part that threw me off. Because then he escaped somehow. It, it, That's also like, yeah. So, so if you look at the progression, right? So there's, you know, so the, so the, the he gets hung up on the hook, and then the dude ties the arm back. He heats up the cleaver, and then you see it, you know, s- you know, kind of sizzle. And then he's, ca- and then one panel later, he's carrying the arm away. The arm's completely hacked off. And then two panels later, you hear noise upstairs, and the kid starts yelling, "Help! Help down here!" If I just had my arm caught off, I am done. I can't even say help. You're, I, I, you don't like, really like even going to the doctor. No, I know exactly. I'm not. I'm not even. I'm. I can't even whimper at this point. I'm probably passed out. To be honest with you, I've come probably completely passed out. There's no way I can garner the energy to yell help in this situation. So uh, good on this kid. Or let alone have a knife fight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I stubbed my toe the other day, and I and I and I uh, uh, cried for four hours. Yeah, exactly. It was like I this, was like, ow. The kid hurt. went back in. <laughs> the kid was like, "Hold on, mom, yeah. I got to go back in there and make sure this is taken care of." I'm like, "Well, you have less faculties than you did when this whole thing started. <laughs> you're 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 down an arm and and likely a lot of blood, and maybe that's it. Maybe he was low on blood and he just was like, he wasn't thinking straight. That's what I'm saying. But I thought I thought the uh, the supernatural element was fine. I thought the fact that the guy was still around and to terrorize him emotionally as an old man was good. I thought I thought the ending was was strong in that sense. Um, and, I mean, it's going to be a great little volume, and it's going to come out yeah. hardcover first. And if you're looking for somebody who's into horror and chilling and that sort of stuff, this is going to be a great story sort to give. Psychological, too. Yeah. Yeah. Did you say horror and chilling? Horror and chilling. Like chilling out? No, like chilling, chilling stories, like chilling. Anyway, right. so Thief of Thieves, number one, finally after, what, two San Diego's after being announced two San Diego's ago? Was it that or long was it San Diego? No, it's just I think this it was one. I think it was this past San Diego. Oh, was it this past one? Anyway. They're all, it's all one San Diego. It's just all blends in together. But so Thief of Thieves, uh, number one from Image. And this is the new series with story by Robert Kirkman and written uh, by Nick Spencer and art by Sean Martinborough. And uh, basically the premise is focused on a guy who is a high-caliber thief and his world. And for a first issue, I this blew me away. I thought this was great. I really enjoyed it. I was really impressed by both by how quickly I got pulled into the story. I thought Nick uh, Spencer dialogue did the you know in terms of writing and the specific dialogue probably one of the better things I've read of his that he wrote. And I really like Sean Martinborough's approach. You know, kind of a realistic kind of approach. I could see this being a TV show. Martinborough was really good. He yeah. he used to draw Batman way back in the detective. day. Detective. Uh, yeah. Detective. Well, Batman was in that book. Right. No, but, but yeah. specifically, he was the 
He was he the was artist on Ruckus guy. Detective Run, which was one of yeah. the best detective runs I've ever read. Yeah. Now, Josh, did you read this? Yeah, yeah. It's pretty good. Did you think? I thought it was okay. I thought it was okay. If, uh, I, I feel like what Ron said. It's, it sounded like a TV show that I'd watch the pilot of and go, that was all right, and then never watch it again. No. <laughs> no, and I'll tell you why. I'll, I'll be specific about it. It was very uh, slick, and it was lots of snappy patter, and I didn't really get to know much about the characters. They were just sort of – it felt to me like there wasn't a whole lot there that made me care about them other than them being cool a little Fair. bit. And it was good. There aren't a lot of comic books like that, so that's good, but it wasn't – it didn't It didn't like completely grab me in, in that way. Like I don't think it was bad. I, I didn't have any issues with it, but I wasn't completely excited about it. I'm glad that – I really am glad that there are comics like this exist that that don't have a supernatural angle and they're and they're sort of trying a different thing with it. Yeah, but I mean, I, th- I think it's a little a, flat. I think a, I think a part of what what got me about it was that, and I don't because I I don't know if I went in with low expectations or not knowing what to ex- or not knowing what to expect. But you know, but, but with the story opening up with the initial kind of um, the initial kind of heist that that happened in the beginning, and then the flashback to the two characters to see how they met and him kind of showing her how to steal a car. And then with the you know the 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 ending and the cliffhanger or whatever ending, um, you know it, at the end of it I was like wow that that was a lot better than I thought it would be you know. Well, I, mean, that's <laughs> I, I enjoyed it enough. It gets me, it's got me for an arc. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I want to see where it goes, and I think my my problem was the same with Josh is it felt very light yeah. in terms of I don't there wasn't a real big hook other than I want to see what happens next with the crime, which I guess is what gets you. Yeah, but. It's got me enough. For, it was it was well done enough that it, I'll see what happens for the first arc, and if, if, we'll see how that goes. And, and it's interesting though because because it is, uh, if you don't know at home, those of you listening, uh, it's done in sort of more of a writers' room kind of way. There's going to be different arcs, you know, by, with different people different involved, writers, and yeah. and Kirkman and Spencer and, and others are coming along. And, and the fact is, you know, when you do that, especially with more than one person, although it works with just one writer, uh, it takes a little bit sometimes to find the footing. Yep. And figure out what it is to figure out what it is that's interesting about these people, and maybe we don't know in these in this in this script yet. You know, maybe they don't know. You know, they yeah. think they know, but it hasn't quite congealed. But you know, it's enough to it's enough to try again. It's funny because it's it's different. There's a diversity about it, but in, in being that, it's actually very plain in terms of sort of what you normally get in TV or in comics, and it's like a regular sort of TV concept. Yeah. Well, and, and it's no. I mean, like I love Near Death. Like, it, I, like it's up there with you know with, with Near Death and Thief of Thieves, and you know, like in those kind of I would watch this TV show. I mean, like again in that Human Target kind of genre, you know. <laughs> so I dug it. It's one of the other cool things that came out this week. Sort of a a new lease on an old thing. I would be Conan the Barbarian number one from Dark Horse by Brian Wood and Becky Cloonan. A lot of uh, a lot of buzz, a lot of fan excitement around this one. Uh, did you guys read it? No, I like Conan, but I, this, this would be the I think I'd get in trade if I heard good things about it. And it actually sold out at my shop, and I didn't get a chance to chase, chase down an issue, and I wanted to hear what you thought of it before I did. It seems everyone, everyone's loving it, it seems like. I I liked it. I thought it yeah. looked really cool. It's funny, Clunan does sort of a a skinny Conan, but I guess he's a little younger here, so he's not sort of giant and imposing. I don't think it was markedly better or different than the Conan Road of Kings by by Roy Thomas, of all people, that I've been reading. Right. In fact, it was a little more um, – what's the word I'm looking for? It was it was just a, a – you know how he writes Northlanders in more of a contemporary way? Yes. Like it's It was like that. And so it was a little – like I kind of like the pageantry that goes around the weird Conan speech and there was less of it. So I'm thinking if you're I, – I, I really hasten to call myself a Conan purist because I really am not that big of a fan. But <laughs> in the stuff that I've read, like I kind of, I kind of miss that a little bit. And yeah. I will say I lost track of it a little bit at the end. There's a sequence uh, where he jumps off a boat, swims across to another boat, falls asleep, gets taken underwater. Like I don't know what of that is a dream sequence or, or what happened. I, I, I lost track of it a little bit. So would you say it's more like a a young hip version of Conan than a like a traditional Conan? No, I wouldn't even bring it that far. It was because well, so he's younger and they written contemporarily. I, no, not even so much. It's just that it was missing that other thing. I wouldn't say that like this is a Conan for a new generation. It isn't that much of a departure at all. Mm. Did he have tight jeans? No, no. What's weird is that there was this dog named Poochie following him around. <laughs> so that's that's kind of strange. Is, does he drink PBR out of a, out of a big? I'm, I'm I will say tall boy, a tall boy. Yeah, <laughs> just he had, he had a he had a he had a trucker cap on. So he's hipster, actually hipster Conan. Yeah, but it's like five year five <laughs> years ago Conan. hipster Conan. <laughs> Ugh. 
I know it's good. Like, isn't this isn't it technically Conan the Barbarian? It's not Conan like Conan O'Brien, but hipster Conan would be Conan. Yeah. Right. (laughs) What is best in life? Bands you've never heard of. (laughs) Trust funds. Oh, come on. Anyway, yeah, no, I'm not, I've never been a big Conan fan, but I'm curious because I do enjoy Brian Wood and I like Parky oh, Clinton. So here's yeah. the thing: a lot like the last thing we were just saying. Like, I didn't love Northlanders at first, but once yeah. once they got going, I mean, that's been just uh, uh, you know five stars every single time. And and these two creators, you know, have worked with each other before. They really like working with each other. So the seeds of something really special are there. I just I just don't think it's fully up to speed yet. Yeah, but there's definitely stuff worth being excited about for it. Um, and I'm glad – I think it's really cool that a lot of people are trying what is a new but classic property. You know, like Conan's yeah. a mainstay in comics and, you know, now it's just sort of a niche thing. But if this gets more people to read it, then then go for it. I mean there's so much fun that can be done in this setting. Uh, and Conan's – he's a lot like Jonah Hex really. It's almost the same thing just with a sword. Like he shows up. He doesn't really have any allegiance to anything. He creates trouble. He's out for himself. He takes off. He has sex. Repeat. Jeez, Jimmy Palmiotti and Justin Gray should do a Conan book. That'd be good. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> really should. Um, Ron, five issues in, and I'm I'm still surprised how much classroom action we're getting with Wolverine the X. I love Wolverine the X. And well, first off, Wolverine, you know, like it, Wolverine X Men number five had me two pages in when the issue opens up with Wolverine and Iceman and Angel at a meeting at Worthington headquarters because the Worthington board is freaking out because uh, Warren Worthington now is not who he used to be and he's supposed to be the CEO of the company and their stock is tumbling and blah, blah. And basically they wrestle control away from him and you find out that that's all been orchestrated by the Hellfire Club, which is a neat little like they're going to fight in the boardroom. That's awesome. But what this issue had me was Connor on the second page when they're walking out and there's the panel of sad sack Wolverine in the suit with the top button open and the tie kind of half undone <laughs> and his yeah. hat, his death of a salesman hat. Yeah. I was like, oh, yes. Wearing a, a fedora that's back in the back of his head. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it was just it, like it could have said the whole issue could have been sad sack business. Wolverine. <laughs> just go, <laughs> I, just, I just need some investment. Come on. <laughs> run in. But and this issue just continues to be fantastic, and it's just so it's like it's just, I love it, and you know from the point of McCoy leading a class on biology by shrinking down with pin particles and going inside Toad's body to look inside his body, and Toad getting mad and the, the I'm going to kill everybody in their sleep, you know, <laughs> and then like um you know and so the issue ended last issue with Kitty being you know enormously pregnant, and so she ditches her class and she has Dupe teach a class, and it's totally reminded me of summer school. You know, yes. <laughs> you know, because like he's teaching introduction to religion, and he just has them watch Monty Python's Life of Brian. <laughs> I mean, they're just such little touches, and it's just so much fun. And to see them moving the story along, and you know, we find out that what uh, Kitty not actually isn't pregnant, and it's actually a little microscopic brood that are attacking her from inside. Um, and Brood, the little Brood student, is fantastic. He's, he's one of my favorite characters in the oh, book. Made out of nowhere, out of, out of kid, yeah. The kid, there's a lot of characters in this book, but it doesn't feel overwhelming. There's there's, the, there's the older X-Men, there's the new kids, there's a lot of them you don't even know before, from before the series, and and it, it, he does a great, Aaron does a great job of juggling everyone so that everyone gets enough screen time that you feel like you get, you've known and seen everyone enough. Yeah, it's just so wonderful. I, I, do, I adore it. I totally adore it. It's the best X-Men book I've read in a long time. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And it just, every issue doesn't, does it not deliver. It just, that's amazing. That was a horrible sentence. That's not funny. I listen. I I did well last week with the double negatives. I'm trying to make a thing. Don't, don't make that your thing. I'm just that's just that's your advice from a friend. Yeah. All right. So yeah, I'm going to be the X- double negative guy. I mean, I'm not not going to be that guy. <laughs> we'll read the X Men. Just I just hope Marvel doesn't change anything and fuck it up. That's what that's. So I just that's, hope. what are the chances of that? I know, amazing. Anyway, so um, real quick word from our sponsor. We want to thank C2E2 for sponsoring this episode. And if you haven't heard about it, you know, convention season is starting to gear up again. And uh, C2E2 is coming back to Chicago. If you're in the Chicagoland area or you're looking to travel to go to a a con in April, you might want to check out April 13th to the 15th in Chicago at McCormick Place. That's where C2E2 will be. They've got a ton of great uh, comic guests that are going to be appearing. Mark Silvestri, Amanda Connor, Tony Moore, Joe Kubert, Sean Murphy, Tim Seeley. And if you're into movies and things like that, they've got a ton of uh, media guests, including the legendary Anthony Daniels, who, if you go to C2E2.com, you see him posing with a uh, C-3PO head, which is kind of weird. <laughs> but unknown if he'll be wearing the C-3PO head or not. I think he should, to be honest with you. But um, So if you ever want to meet Anthony Daniels... Just imagine the size in that guy's hotel room later that night. <laughs> <I know. sighs> 
So now's your chance to to experience a comic, a great comic convention. So go to c2e2.com. You can pick up tickets in advance. They're fifty bucks for the weekend, or check out their VIP packages because there's a ton of perks if you got a little extra money and you want to be treated like a VIP and get early access to the floor, things like that. Uh, you can definitely get it there. You can wear the C3PO head. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Anthony Daniels. Thank will, the maker. <laughs> Anthony know. Daniels will wait in lines for sketches from Scotty Young for you if you want. Right, I don't know. If right, Scotty I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's true. Disclaimer. Yeah. <laughs> That's, so, it's not true. It's not true, in fact. <laughs> it's, a, it's a joke. Yeah. So head over to C2E2.com. Get your tickets today. A lot of lawsuits Green, flying around. I want to make sure that Green Lantern clear. number six. Return of Sad Sack Hal, but WTF the art. Oh, my God. Talk about shitting the bed. Mike Choi, I normally like, but for, for one thing, Hal looked like he was 12. Well, here, here's the thing. We see – between our work at iFanboy and our work at Graphically, we see a lot of comics, yeah. a lot of comics. And there's a, there's a category of comic that is, that is usually self-published or somebody trying to get into it. And you can always tell – I can always tell just by looking at it whether or not it's actually worth reading or not. And I looked at this first page. I'm like, this looks like one of the, the crappy submissions we've seen. It's it's well the coloring is also credited to Mike Choi which yeah. is with Alex and Claire so it looks like Choi colored himself and it looks like he's learning yeah. because it looks it, it it looks amateurish it looks like the, the the color they have on Kevin Maguire now you know it looks like someone just dropped in Photoshop yep. uh, filters and, and and gradients but uh, I mean not even that the the scene in the beginning where where Hal fights all those guys and they're all laying on the floor and, he, and there's a shot from below he looks like he's twelve years old it's right in the, the title page. It's it's bad. It's bad. It was shocking. Yeah, I mean, I'm enjoying the the return of Sad Sack Hal on Earth, you know. But yeah, well, what's 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 even worse is that Sad Sack Hal back on Earth, and then by the last issue, Sinestro comes back. Is like, no, I'm not done with you. And it's like, oh god, it's like it just seems like a bit of a, of a rehash of the past five issues. But we'll yeah, see. And then, then it says next, the secret of the Indigo Tribe. I'm like, I don't, I don't. I don't yeah, want knock, it. knock. I might be done with this. Yeah, it's it's coming close to be honest yeah. with you, but yeah. We didn't talk about it the last time when the first issue came out because I don't think we were doing a show. Lobster Johnson, The Burning Hand, number number two, came out this week. And both this one and the first one were done uh, – the art was by Tanji Zanzik, who did – Great uh, artist. Who is Love Jake them. Ellis. This, yeah. is, this is hands down without a doubt uh, just the best – like great art. It's it's probably the most exciting thing I saw in a book this week. It was definitely the most exciting uh, thing I saw when the first issue came out, and he's just perfect for it. This is a story that that takes place back in the I'm going to say 30s. Uh, I think it's like pre World War II. I'm not quite sure. Lobster Johnson is is running around helping dames with his crew of guys, and and they're fighting bad guys. And it's it's really kind of like classic old comics, like pulp adventure, you know, with with mobsters and everything. But the art is just spectacular, and it's so. Uh, minimalistic. There's nothing there that doesn't need to be there. Uh, it's it's really uh, very very wonderful. And uh, you know if you, if you want to see some good art and just like, like I've said this a billion times, but you you can read this miniseries if you've never read Hellboy, BPRD, whatever. Just it's not really tied in, right? I mean, I remember no. buying the first Officer Johnson trade that came out a while ago, and it's not at all tied into the BPRD just, Hellboy story. It's no. just a, its own character. Who's it's, fantastic? Who's Hellboy. A great I mean, character. I mean, you could you could easily see if it helps. You could easily see Darwin Cook doing a book like this. Like it's that yeah. kind of book. Like it feels like that kind of thing. And and Tanji Zanzek, man, it's just it's just great art. Really, really wonderful. You know, even a step up from the Who's Jake Ellis stuff, which was also great, but uh, he's very good. Uh, on the other side of the spectrum of sort of a different kind of art than that, but one that I also really liked is uh, Scarlet Spider Two. I, oh, whoa! You you read it? Yeah, yeah. I oh, was. Wow. I was forced to buy the first one. Let's say. <laughs> and, and you know, it wasn't that I didn't want to buy it. It's just that it, literally. It's called Scarlet Spider, and I just don't even see it on the rack. Yeah. I just go right past it with my eyes. So yeah. I went back, and I grabbed the first one a couple of weeks ago, and I grabbed the second one this time. And the thing that I came out of it was the, is, is uh, the feeling that the artwork is kind of – it feels like I'm reading a Todd McFarlane book again, but updated for now. Which, like, is, what, which is what you liked in, in all those years ago. Oh, yeah. No, I loved it. So it's, like, it's yeah. a great feeling, and like you know, just all of the – camera work and positioning of of scarlet spider as as you know he moves around and stuff is it's just a lot of fun and this, is, and this was this was the first issue that had uh the the costume so yep. it had a uh, cane in the costume yep. and this also like the first issue was good but stegman brought it on this issue this is, this is what i'm saying 
Yeah, it's just it's just a guy who's who's hungry and, and putting everything into all all the pages. And you know, I'm not terribly into the story. I'll I'll be on. You know, like it, it's fine. Well, I mean, it's, it's standard superhero. No, I, I mean, know it's, it's fine. It's by Chris Yost. Superhero, and it's you know, it's by Chris Yost, and I know his work probably mostly from the Avengers cartoon series, and I'm fine with that. Yeah, uh, it's cool. It's fun. There's there's a little more to be discovered. Uh, but uh, it's a good looking book, man. It's, yeah, it's uh, also I, and I don't want to just um, you know Stegman Stegman's pencils are great his his uh, inker that he always works with Mike Babinski like Gore Babinski yeah <laughs> like wow really no it's it's De- <laughs> more Babinski uh, <laughs> <laughs> a lot more Gore and a lot less Babinski <laughs> um, no Mike Babinski like he he knows how to ink this like they work together a lot and he knows they know you know they know how to work together and it shows it's just. It's this really kind of clean, modern, but it's very different than the than the Tanji Sanzik art. But it fits with this. I really liked it. So, Journey into Mystery number six thirty four. Um, I got to give Kieran Gillen and who is the artist on this? Richard Elson credit because there's a moment in here that made me laugh out loud, but was awesome. If you remember correctly, I caught up and I read the whole run of Journey into Mystery and and really did enjoy it. And I'm enjoying what uh, Kieran Gillen's doing with Young Loki. But one of the jokes and one of the criticisms is that it's very heavy on the captions. Heavy on the on the boxes, the narration boxes, and there's a sequence where Loki is uh, dreaming, and basically not, it, the 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 this arc has to do with nightmare. Nightmare is kind of preying off of people's fears after fear itself, and so Loki's trapped in a nightmare, and undead Thor is chasing him, and there's like the very um, uh, like scroll like caption box telling the story of what's happening in the nightmare, and at one point Loki reaches up and yells, "Shut up, no more!" and grabs it and crumples it up. <laughs> So I like that aspect of like kind of breaking the fourth wall, so to speak, at least in the storytelling. Um, but it's it's just great. It's a lot of fun, and I got to mention in the letter column. So there you go. That's all you need, then. That's all I need. I was uh, Kieran referred to me as a uh, despicable human being. Really? Yeah. He knows you well. He yeah. got my letter. <laughs> <laughs> That's better than what I said. So Buffy the Vampire Slayer season nine issue number six. Again, I, like I'm I'm enjoying this in and out. I mean I know that 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 Buffy had a lot of um, the season eight was a little long in the tooth and that sort of thing. But season nine Five years. I know season nine has been <laughs> season nine has been great in terms of setting a new paradigm. You know the world. You know basically Buffy in at the end of season eight they they killed off magic and so there's no more magic left in the universe and there's a lot of questions as to what that means and what the ramifications are and Buffy and all the gang have settled in San Francisco and uh, Jonti drew in this issue specifically like buffy met up with the dude the the son of the the 1970 slayer who was in 24 the brother of the president what was his name oh anyway, uh, yes yeah, yeah that yeah. The, the dude the, the bald dude uh he's a, parenthood. he's a doctor yeah but they so they meet up at vesuvio and here in san francisco so it's very specific to locations but this issue is fairly worth noting because apparently at a at a wild uh at the wild party that they threw a couple issues back where buffy was having a housewarming party she slept with somebody and apparently she's pregnant and in this issue she decides to get an abortion so there you go oh i saw somebody refer to that but i didn't know what they were talking about yeah, that's what they're talking about. And she asked Spike to – and there's a great little moment with Spike because she, she's not sure Spike might be the father, that sort of thing. And she you know, texts Spike saying she needs to talk to him and Spike is kind of gearing up the, the uh, energy to tell her that he likes her again and that sort of thing. And then she says, you know, I need your help to get me an abortion. I need, your, you know, I need you to be there for me. And he's like, sure, whatever you need. And you know, very emotional, but it's, it's good. I'm, I'm enjoying it. So Andrew Chambliss is doing a good job writing it in that writer, in that writer room kind of environment that you, you know, kind of mentioned uh, with Joss Whedon kind of doing it. And then finally, New Mutants number 37, uh, Dan Abnett, Andy Lanning, and David Lopez write a great one-shot issue where Amara of the New Mutants goes on a date with Mephisto. And for some reason, writing Mephisto between what Kieran Gillen did with Mephisto and Journey into Mystery and then here with Abnett Lanning, what they're doing, like it's, it's just fun. It just uh, this was a lot, a lot of fun, a great little one shot issue in the New Mutants world that felt very true to the old flavor of the New Mutants. I- I'm loving the series. I think David Lopez is doing great on the art. Issue 37 was a blast. Those are what we thought of the books that are going on, but we also like to make sure that the community has your say, and you can do that on iFanboy.com and go and pull your books and rate them and and pick your own pick of the week. And then on the show, we'll we'll tell you about them. So here are the top five user-defined picks of the week for this week. And number five was Adventure Time number one, which got 8.3%. I had no idea what this is, but a lot of people seem to. (laughs) They love the cartoon, man. Apparently. It's a cartoon is what you're saying. Yes. I see. Number four is Conan the Barbarian, number one, with 8.7. Very close between four and five. it's It's not quite best in life, but it's number four. Batman and Robin, number six, uh, with 11%. Comes in number very very high for that title. Very spread out this week. Wolverine and the X-Men, number five, with 13.3%. And Connor, Punisher Max, number 22, 
With 22.9%, the community went along with him, but just barely. It's a plurality. <laughs> you can also go through the comics page and write user reviews, and we like to pick out a couple user reviews and read them on the show. And the first is from Dix, who reviewed Demon Knights number six and gave the story four out of five, and the art of three out of five, and 0.7% of the iFanbase made their pick of the week. And Dix says, the siege of Little Spring continues, and I'm starting to not care. Six issues is a long time for this single plot to take. What feels so much like a beginning, a single action, and a long war. And this issue isn't the end, but despite feeling without emotional investment, the tension remains. Most of all, I still want to learn about the cast. That's been the best thing about these last several issues. The plot hasn't moved forward a whole lot, but we've taken the time to learn more about some of the individuals who are our heroes. I could easily imagine reading and enjoying a series with these characters going on an epic fantasy adventure. I just wish the adventure would hurry up and start. Yeah, I'm, I'm close to done with this book. I love this book. Um, I just, it just is, uh, it, I just don't care. I lost the thread a little bit. Yeah, me too. With this one. I, I, I enjoy it. I like it, but I really I don't know who anybody is yet other than like three or four of the characters and there's a couple mm. of extras that i'm starting to lose track of yeah. a lot of horses though so that's uh, no artist likes that and he did it well <laughs> horses and, and, and dinosaurs and dragons i'm okay with that <laughs> but connor you're enjoying it so. yeah i love i mean i love the fantasy aspect of it i love that it's, it's a big old fantasy war there's swords and there's horses and there's dragons and there's mystics and there's spells and and there's a Wonder Woman character, and there's Vandal Savage, and there's the Shining Knight, and there's Etrick and the Demon, there's Madame Xanadu. I mean, I pretty much have a good handle on all the characters, and, and I like the aspect of the fact that it's basically superheroes in, in, the, in the medieval times, which is fun. Cool. So our next review comes from Descendant Droog, who reviewed Batwoman number six and gave the story a three out of five and the art a four out of five, and 0.4% of you made it your pick of the week. And Descendant Droog says, I have to say – I." And Descendant Droog says, I have to sadly be the overcritical, jealous, jealous, okay, I cannot read. Do you, want, that me, again. Do you want me to do this? No, I can do it. It's all okay. right. <laughs> this feels good for my position right now, by the way. This is great. Descendant Droog says, I have to sadly be the overly critical jackass I am and mention that the story is told in vignettes. This is something I never like in comics. Well, let me elaborate. It's okay sometimes, but not when it jumps around in time. This, to me, is unneeded and creates a lull in normally stellar presentation. Though I have to give big props to, to the Jacob story and Maggie story for just brilliant character development. Also an honorary mention to Kate's story, which also bears mention. Yet really all that can be chalked up to is personal taste. The only real issue with this book that I have is it's a setup issue that teases the amazing things to come. But I can't give it the praise I can help on previous issues. And this is the first issue with the switchover from J.H. Williams to Amy Reader, right? Yeah, which was all right. It wasn't wasn't ter- it wasn't bad. Well, I wasn't going to get it. I gave it a flip, and I was like, "All right, I'm, I'm going to keep going." But again, like I, I just want to, I want more of it. I'm not sure what it is. I really want to see more of Kate and Maggie try to work out the relationship. That's my favorite part of this. Yeah, and, well, and- there's a lot of threads, and I think the biggest hurdle with this book is that there's lots of stories. Mm-hmm. There's the weeping woman story, which apparently is going to continue. There is. Kate and Maggie, there's Kate working for the DEO, there's her psychic who was hurt, and it's tough to juggle all those stories, yeah. and they're having a tough time. Now, the, I think Amy Ritter's great. She used to draw Madame Xanadu. She's, <laughs> she's a really strong artist. No, and it looked good. There was that page where she realizes that she's got the bulletproof armor, which was good. We had the little tink, tink, tinks all over the place, but then the next page, which was those three sort of vertical diagonal panels... You know, yeah. uh, those were great. Those were, those were really good, but there's, there's, you're right. It's just too many stories. Uh, and I, I actually agree with the, the reviewer that the sort of vignette, like going back and telling bits, like I don't like that either. Just tell the story that's going on. Agreed. Uh, you, you just cut some of this out. Just cut some of this out. We'll be fine. And just, just make right, it then. more straightforward. So go to ifanboy.com slash comics and you can do your pull list and write your own reviews and you get possibly get one on the show. Keep writing, uh, writing those reviews. It's right to see them come in every Wednesday through the week. On to the book of the month. We could just go ahead and call this the book of the year. If you it's, want. it's a solid pick. I'll give it's you that. A, it's a, I was uh, I was very happy to be like, ah, oh, that's the choice, and, I, and it was very easy to write about. Where we're talking about Jim Henson's Tale of Sand from Arkea as adapted into a graphic novel by Ramon Perez, and I gotta say it's been it's been a rough couple of weeks in the world of comic books. It feels like there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of agita out there about <laughs> uh, all the stuff that's going on. There's just everything questions everything. of what Marvel's doing and what DC's doing and, and what creators are doing among each other. And there's a lot of stuff that has nothing to do with the art form. And I got to say that lately, I, this Tale of Sand book has been my little bit of anchor to be like, uh, this is actually why I have a job and a career in comic books. This is why I love this art form. He simply said, like, this book blew me away. 
in a way it's, it, that it, it's it's mind blowing. In it's a way fantastic. that I haven't been able to say since uh, you know Asterius Polyp or you know the the first time we saw one of the Darwin Cook Parker books. I mean. That's what I'm talking about when I, when I say this. The story is a, is a cool hook. I mean, the story behind the book, basically, is they, you know, they find this old screenplay that Jim Henson had, had written in the 60s with his partner, uh, Jerry Jewell, and, and they couldn't ever get it made, which is completely obvious when you read it. Why? <laughs> because yeah, this, would, this would have looked like crap if shot in the 60s, just because they wouldn't have had the production value or, or ability to do a lot of well, the stuff in it. I don't it. even know. I mean, my one... My one Lion movie. in the car. <laughs> Yeah, this, the the story is is well, loose at best. <laughs> well, and that's the other thing. It's a, it's yeah. a, it's, it's it's a, a fever dream. It's a fever yeah, dream. It's a it's yeah. a surreal chase through the desert. Basically, is what it is. The main character doesn't have a name, and a lot of weird stuff happens. Now, explain that to me on the surface, and I'm going to go. Uh, no, thank you. I'm very good. I don't need to read right. that. Uh, it's really not my type of thing. I'm not into surrealism very much. But w- what the real story for this here is Ramon Perez. It's a name that I've heard before. I couldn't tell you what he's done. I've never seen anything. This guy's going to be a megastar based on this book. He goes through several different styles of cartooning in it, but mainly it's just a very it's solid on one page. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And and not it's it's not terribly showy because most of it is just straight up cartooning. Very much. It's not quite Darwin Cook. It's a little more, a little less minimalistic than that. But it's just very solid. Like the the character. That you keep saying, like he's always consistent. He always looks like the same guy, but you see him go through this range of of motions and emotions, and and from every angle, like it's just it's really solid all the way through. And then you've got all these other characters who come in. There's there's tribes of angry Bedouins and a football team and and a, a civil war regiment and 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 the shade. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The shade is in this. Um, <laughs> it's not the shade, but it's somebody who looks a lot like the shade. Yeah, that's so. true. And, and you know, there's a car chase and there's horses and and. Like everything is handled beautifully. I mean, this is as strong a cartooning as as I could I could show you. And and then the other thing is that because it's a chase book, there's a, there's whole sections of this that have no word balloons. Uh, some sound effects here and there, but it's constantly moving. You know, from the from the top left to the bottom right of, of these sort of two page spreads. Yeah, and it's this constant uh, 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 motion and 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 energy and and kineticism and. It never stops through the whole thing, and, and you just are flipping pages over and over and over again, and, and you're getting to this end, and he doesn't know what the end is going to be because he's just – basically, it's this guy, and he shows up in this town, and everybody starts celebrating. They're like, you're going to do great for us. Off you go. And he's like, okay, and then he finds out he's being chased through the desert, and, and nothing makes any sense, and it's very odd, and nobody can be trusted, and, and nothing is what it seems, and and then it's, it's – it, Gone. It's fa- it's fast. I mean, it's it, there's a there's an energy and a speed to the book to reading it. There's very little words. Yep. It's it's truly very visual, and I loved what they did with the mixed media through the book, where there were actually pages where there are words, where they layered in the the original Henson and the other dude's script behind it. Yep. The, pr- you know, the production on this is, is wonderful. Amazing. I, haven't, I haven't finished it. I only I got it late this week, and I just haven't had time. Mm-hmm. But just from the first page, when you open it up, you see a, an old photograph of Jim Henson, and it's. A, Young man with an old film camera looking like he's on a set, and and they've layered in the characters from the book, like holding scripts. You know, it's just and then that's a wonderful the, image, and it's on both sort of the inside and outside covers. Yeah, and then when you start, the you get one. you get you get the script pages in the background of the introduction, and then the script pages bleed into the story, and then they're in the background in the first scene. It just it's it's wonderfully put together. And when Josh first described this as the the best thing since Stereo's Polyp in terms of art and production i was i was pretty surprised cuz that's a high bar to set but when i got it and I opened it up i was like okay he's right yeah i mean it, it was amazing it and, looks, and, it's beautiful and when i you know when i wrote the review i basically said the hook that the hook that people are going to try to sell this book on you is it's this lost henson thing which is cool and great but that's that's third in line to yep. the cartooning the, the actual comic book work inside the pages and then after that is just the production of this wonderful book and, and and i gotta say if if and i you know i love digital comics but but this is a book and this is a book you're going to want to have and you're going to want to hold and smell it and it's got a ribbon well it's got no it's like a moleskin no, it's, got the, it's got the moleskin the elastic, elastic. Yeah. yeah yeah uh it's a it's a wonderful book it's available digitally you can get it that way if you prefer 
but uh yeah the production is is just uh non-stop full bore yeah no it's fantastic it's totally fantastic so um yeah and you wrote a great review you can read that review up on ifanboy.com it's right there on the homepage. the the book of the month and seriously it's like it's not i wouldn't it's not even like a, if you're into the muppets pick this up because it's tensing like no this no, no, is no. just no this is great amazing graphic storytelling it's just amazing Last year we had trouble with the book of the year, but this year it's a good it's a good front runner. It's it's, sure. it's obviously a front runner. Like like yeah. something's gonna have to be amazing. Yeah, and I can't wait to find out what the next thing is that could yeah. challenge it. That'll be great too. But uh, seriously, if you feel like you're getting down on all the sort of bummer news that you're hearing in the comics press lately, you know, find the thing, find, check this book out or whatever. Read the book that you really like. But you know, that's why you're here. That's that's the point. All right, so go to ifanboy.com and check out Josh's book of the month. And we'll get started with the emails here. Our first email comes from Kevin, who says, I'd like to know what the three of you think of Garth Ennis' The Boys. I stumbled across it by accident last year. For my money, it's the best thing out there, period. What do you think? Strengths, weaknesses? Does it remind you of anything? Normally, this was an email that comes in that I would have just responded with, hey, none of us read it, and that would have been it. But then I thought about it, and we don't, we, none of us read it anymore. I think yeah. Josh and I – did Ron, did you read it in the beginning? I read it in the very beginning, and I dropped so the, it. From the beginning, the three of us read it. We, we, we reached – I think Josh lasted the longest on it. I was in the 20s, I think. We don't ever mention it because we don't read it, but we should mention it because it's become 63 issues. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a machine. Yeah, that's true. It's mm-hmm. really an impressive accomplishment – we talk about Invincible. We talk about books like that from from non Marvel DC that go forever, and this is gone almost the length of our podcast. It's going to end though. It's it's it's, it's sure, but up, it, it, it? Yeah. And it's, as it should. But it's yeah. it's a really impressive feat that we don't mention because we don't talk read it. But it's important to I think applaud Garth Ennis and Dynamite for sure. Dynamite rescuing this from from from, from Wildstorm, which is yeah. an interesting story on yeah. its own. I had high hopes for it. You know, if you were to ask me what my favorite comic book, if I could only have one comic book series, it would be Preacher. It's my favorite. You know, my favorite thing. So. And Transmetropolitan's up there, too. So when you're talking about Garth Ennis and Derek Robertson, that's a high bar to clear. And I just – it had a little too much gore and jokes and rape for the purposes of sensationalism and fun. Too much gore gore and too much Verbinski? Yeah. Uh, but and not enough of the character work that I think that and I I, I literally this I think that Garth Ennis is as good at characters and relationships between those characters as anybody who has ever worked in comics, yep. and it had too little of that for me and I just I, I found it lacking and and I, I just didn't find myself wanting to go on with it. Yep. <clears throat> All right, cool. So there you go. Uh, this was a long one, but so bear with me. Nathan, who is Peter Parker the, or Pete Parker on the website from Albuquerque, New Mexico, writes and says, I've recently given up on comics. For the past 15 years, I've been an avid reader, buying everything that came out for a few years between 2001 and 2004. I largely focused on Marvel's productions, but often enjoyed some of the most successful long-form Vertigo and Image titles. The combination of the general price increases, explosion of titles, and event fatigue all led me to carefully examine why I was doing all of it. Based on that, tried to decide if I wanted to continue. I thought about all I had witnessed in the years and I had been reading, and tried to identify the points where it had given me the most joy and why. Almost all those points were the discovery of something new, where I was telling myself, wow, this is different, this means something. Insert your close encounters of third kind joke here. Of course, in hindsight, those changes have little to no impact on the overarching long-term story. Characters don't grow, they don't change, they always seem to revert back to some form we've already seen before. Nothing truly had any meaning. I've heard you guys mention this general feeling amongst some fans who clamor for change and discussion regarding the impact making significant long-term changes would have on the ability to continue to sell iconic characters in their stories. But if that takes some steps back from the entire comics experience and look at but if you take some steps back from the entire comics experience and look at the whole, those same feelings can apply to some of the absolute best stories to come out in the past 10 years. How did Why the Last Man change comics? How is Walking Dead or even Uncanny X-Force changing things? I found out that they don't. They exist for their fleeting moments in time and the core continuum of the industry continues to cycle back on itself. If you agree with any of this, my question to you is, how do you keep going? How do you look at the horizon knowing it's all just going to continue and continue to keep coming back for more? What is it about this hobby that reels you back in? If you don't agree, could you please point me to anything that has happened in the comics in the past 10 or 15 years that has changed it permanently? That's, that's heavy. We don't have time for comics, this. Let's leave it for next week. The classic comic book dilemma, yeah. reader dilemma, it's that these, these things exist to cycle back on themselves, and you have to either buy into that and enjoy it for what it is or – Read something else. Well, I think that I have two two immediate thoughts, which are like, what keeps you coming back for it? For me, it's the potential. It's the potential of both a writer and an artist to do something that I haven't seen before, do something entertaining. You know, ten years ago, I would never have anticipated reading something like Chew from Layman and and Guillory. And yet, month in month out, it's just a wonderful little um, little corner of the world that you can get lost in and have so much fun with. And so, you know, I I get and Josh, I know you kind of agree with me in this. I get excited to see what art that I haven't seen before. 
what artist what artists can do and and that sort of thing. Um, but now in terms of asking for major change, like I mean, like I, I can't think of a book in ten or fifteen that's changed that changed the game. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> that's because, well, that's a mistake. Yeah, that's a mistake in in your tactics, basically. Yeah, especially yeah, exactly. especially if you're talking about mainstream. Superhero Marvel. comics, and you weren't. You yeah. mentioned Vertigo. You mentioned, yeah. and on those, and those comics do, Image. yeah, those comics do change things. It's just not a huge seismic shift. You don't necessarily notice it, but Vert- Vertigo, you know, Vertigo changed a lot, and Image changed a lot. Uh, but mainstream superhero comics, DC, Marvel, they are the illusion of change. They are yep. the continuance of the status quo. So if you're looking for those to change, they will, but it's real slow. And, and eventually, it will start to repeat back on itself. I mean, we've had the same basic generation of creators working on these books now for pretty much the whole time you're talking about reading. Yeah. And, and, and you will have seen a lot of their tricks by now. And the question is, <clears throat> I think for a lot of people, like, are you fans of comics or are you fans of superheroes? Because that's really part of what it is for a lot of people. A lot of people just like superheroes. And, and this is how you get them. Now, now, you've read other stuff. I know what you're talking about. I, I definitely relate to this. I've been in it. But the one thing that I have learned over the time that I've been in comics and also just like really intensely in comics is to – and Ron talks about this a little. But the art and not just the artist but the, but the craft. And for me, you know, who, who – you know, I've I'm done some writing. I've had – I'm, you know, making comics. I think about stuff like this. Uh, on a very slow basis to crawl because I got a lot of stuff going on, but like that matters to me. And and the art of cartooning, you know, we were just talking about Tale of Sand, you know that that's a game changer to me. To me, Darwin yeah. Cook is a is a game changer. He's a guy who couldn't get work when he first got into the industry because they didn't like his style, and now he's considered a paragon. That's in the last fifteen years. Yeah, that's um, a good point. Great point. Uh, you know, and there's there's lots of stuff like that. We have had an explosion of genre that didn't exist. Now, none of them have giant audiences. But when you're talking about Vertigo, when you're talking about Image Comics, that's something they've done. And and to the extent that when DC relaunched, they were like, look, we've got different genres. Now, they don't. They're all mixed with superheroes or whatever. But that never even happened before. Yeah. And so they're doing different things. The fact that Rick Remender has a bunch of books at at marvel says something they looked at all the different stuff that he was doing said bring some of that to what we've got going on and that's how you end up with uncanny x-force which is it's an x-men book but it's a different x-men book at least slightly and the kinds of artists the style of art on there that are successful that's unheard of that yeah i mean 10 years ago i didn't see jerome pena no you didn't see phil noto you didn't see tons of these guys well yeah yeah, but you know what i mean like (laughs) this um, infinite horizon number one came out right yeah um, (laughs) Well, the th- the thing is, you you're you're talking about an industry, at least in Marvel and DC's uh, terms, that thrives on not changing. Yeah. It, it 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 that's its lifeblood. It can't change. It, if it did, it would die because the audience demands it doesn't change. For all the crying about things being the same, anything anything different happens, it dies because the, the audience pretty much wants wants what they've seen before. So they can't they can't change. If you're focused solely on Marvel books, for the most part, you're never gonna you're not gonna see things change. Characters aren't gonna age and die. Books aren't going to redefine the industry because that's rare. But really, industry hasn't been redefined since 1986, yep. for the most part. I um, think it went through a little thing in the in the late 90s, early 2000s. Not really. I mean, the, the same kind of books just came out. You said you said better quality books. Well, and I guess but that's the, what I mean. The tone is the same. It's the it's the same that tone was established in by Watchmen and Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. You're looking. You're talking about an industry that that lives on. Its bread and butter is the sameness. People coming back for the same stories. Nostalgia. Just, as a marketing and tool. And so you're, you're, if, you're lo- if, you're lo- if that's what you're looking for, you're not going to get it in, in Marvel and DC Comics. You'll get it in other comics, but you may not get it with the characters you're looking for or, or, or want or superheroes. Or you, you'll get it in non-superhero books. But, but that's the problem. I mean, that's, that's tough. I think a lot of people go through that, that crisis of conscience where they realize that this is what's happening in comics. And they either have to enjoy it or not and find something else to do. Because I think I think it happens. I think a lot of people that came in in that period you're talking about, Josh, that late mm-hmm. two thousand, the late nineties period, early two thousands, who came on in the last ten years are starting to realize that these things don't actually change, and they're starting to have that crisis. That's what you I think yeah. a lot of bitching comes out of that. Mm-hmm. Is that wait a minute, this is all recycling? Well, yes, that's that's. that's but com- that's if com- you continue com- to read that stuff, and I well, think that's, that, but that's what most people do, and right. that's, well, I think that's the superhero reader hits that point, and then they have to figure out what they are looking for. For me, I'm just looking to read a fun story on a Wednesday. Well, I mean, it's funny because I always kind of liken I, I liken the the month the, the comics game, the monthly comics uh, that we do every week, to basically watching TV. 
Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time, you know, to, to episodic, you know, serialized television stories. And a lot of times you see sh- shows, you know, like that, that go into long runs like ER with 15 years and all stuff like that. You know, they're, they're down points, you know, when it was like year 11, when it's like, oh God, they're just telling the same story over and over again. And, and it, it kind of boils down to why do I read X-Men for 20 years is because for, for me at least, cause I like the characters, I like the world and there's that hope that it will be good and it will be different. No one's going to change the face of comic storytelling in Uncanny X-Men. You know, they wouldn't be allowed to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but I know that <laughs> it wouldn't I've, sell. You know, I've known that, and I accept it. So, it, uh, so it's part of that, that that you always need to come to that crisis of faith and realize that on one hand, there's a legacy that you choose to be a part of, and hopefully, you know, participate and celebrate and 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 grouse about and all the emotions that go with. But then there's always that. For me, it's that with the world of the unknown of like the I, I, I go back to those moments of like the you know sitting in a hotel room in Charlotte, North Carolina, reading the first trade of Fear Agent, going, "Did you did you read this? You I know, like that. that. That was great. Yeah, I yeah, know exactly. Like like the, the those there are these little moments where you know the, <laughs> the the first time you read Walking Dead, be like, "Fuck, this guy's doing something." You know, like yeah. where you know, and and for me, you know, unless you're in it, you you miss out on those moments. So I mean, and and I you know kind of feel that happening this year. I mean, like you know, I would I, if if you're out, you're out, and I can understand that, Nathan. But I mean, if you're not, I would you know pick up Saga in March and see how you feel. I think yeah. it's about it's about. I think you need to take the step the step not back but forward really just focus yeah. on a couple of, don't you don't, I don't care if you go to the shop every Wednesday I mean just find a couple of books you don't have to even go forward go backward you know what's something that you read a long time ago that you really liked or that you never you never like read V for Vendetta again you know if yeah. if that art doesn't if David Lloyd doesn't blow you away then you know I don't, I don't know what to tell you yeah. or or like if I, if ever I'm feeling bad about comics or whatever, I can always go back and read whatever my favorite stuff is. I can read through Preacher again, like I said. I can read through Gotham Central again. I can read through Queen and Country. Uh, you know, stuff like that. read all of Why, or just pick up. You know, there's going to be stuff that comes out that people are like, this is this is a thing. Tale of Sand is a great example of that. But if you haven't read a bunch of stuff from Oni and there's stuff from Top Shelf and there's, you know. You know, go read Essex County trilogy if you've never read it. The, Je- the Jeff Lemire stuff, like, those are great moments, and you can have the you can capture and be like, oh, this is what's this is what yeah. this art form does that nothing else does. This kind of storytelling, which is one of the greatest in existence that only a few people know about. Yep, uh, go pick up Black Sad. Go pick up Jesus. Um, I want more. Yeah, of that. right. Y- yeah, you know, like get more. Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. If you feel so. like if you feel like you need serialized stuff, like, have you ever read BPRD? Read BPRD from the beginning. Like you'll be like, oh, this is this is what I want. Serialized story. Yes, yeah. close, it's close to the feeling of the Marvel and DC characters, but it, with with stories that actually have consequences and changes and things mm-hmm. happen that don't get re- reverted back to in a, in a year. The great yeah. thing is there's I mean, there's variety in the marketplace now that has never existed. It's just there's not a ton of people to support it, so it's very rickety. But it's there if you if you want it. But I'm speaking as someone who's and and probably like like Ron has been reading superhero comics since the early '80s. You have to just go with it. You yep. have to go with the idea that these these are characters that li- are going to live beyond me, and they're going to stay the same beyond me. And that's you you enjoy their stories as they happen now. You don't get too caught up in the continuity or how it all fits together or how. So I'm looking for something that changes things because a big joke in comics is is that every story is marketed as this is this is the one that changes everything and never nothing doesn't nothing. Well, changes. and it, and it go and it goes back to I mean like I mean Connor, you and I are baseball fans. That that mm-hmm. that, that that game hasn't changed my entire lifetime. Yet every every year I'm right there in front of the TV watching the games because you never know what some player is going to do that's going to blow your mind or see a t- see a story emerge from there or whatever. It's like these are the this is the paradigm that is set up. And then you get to see what people can do inside of it. And yes, you know, I look forward to somebody who, you know, tur- you know, turn, you know, does something crazy and prints something oddly and does all, you know, whatever. But like, but ultimately, like, this is the medium, and this is how, you know, and and how it is. And and I know that's not the best kind of advice, but like, there is still excitement to be had from it. And also, maybe maybe it makes sense to step away for a couple of weeks. So it was a couple of months, or a year, or yeah, years. or a year, or whatever it might be, and then come back and be delighted. You know, I mean that that that's common. I mean, I've it has I haven't done that for more than fifteen years, but I did that twice in my comic reading career where I walked away for a year. And I, the first time I walked away was after getting neck deep in X-Men and Marvel and all that stuff like that and I remember walking away like around the time of Operation Galactic Storm because I realized <laughs> it was bullshit I wish I'd walked away right? that. and then <laughs> and then when when did I walk back I walked back when 
Image debuted. No, I walked back like a couple of months after Image debuted and went, "What is this?" And it was uh, and so much excitement and so much amazement that that carried me through the next you know three four years before when I walked away again because I was in college and didn't have any money. But then and then and then what brought me back at that point was Grant Morrison on JLA. You know, so it's 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 it it definitely ebbs and flows, and you you need to manage your interest or your involvement, and to to help you know help help pull you back in when you want to be. So, interesting interesting tough topic. Yeah, it's a tough it's a tough game. The comics game. Luckily, we're 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 seasoned veterans of so the comics game. If you have any questions, you can email us at contact.ifanboy.com. We're running super long, so we're not going to do any voicemails. So call us at 1-888-FANBOYS. It's 1-888-326-2697. Um, if you're looking for another podcast to listen to because this just wasn't enough for you, every Monday at ifanboy.com we release ifanboy Don't Miss, uh, which is a short 15-minute or 20-minute podcast where we talk to one creator about an upcoming release that you absolutely need to pick up at the comic book store on Wednesday. And this week Paul is talking uh, to the writer of Pete Panzerfaust, which is an awesome comic from Image it's, Comics. I think that sounds like fun. I'm gonna it, it, yeah, up. it's going to be fun. So definitely listen to Paul. Talk to Curtis about that book. And uh, you can get that on iTunes. Go subscribe to it or you can listen to it on iFanboy.com on Monday. Did you want even more? You do? Because you have that. We have the Make Comics podcast, which comes out every Wednesday morning. And in that, it's a short 10, 15-minute discussion with my, my compatriot on that show, Andy Schmidt, former Marvel and IDW editor. He runs the Comics Experience, sort of teach how to make comics school. And uh, this last week we talked about how to build a page, mostly for an artist. But I'm telling you, if you if you want to understand what goes into making comics, even if you don't want to make them, I, they're really great conversations to have and to listen to. Uh, so make sure to check that out. And oh God, go ahead, Connor. Look, we're as surprised as anybody. <laughs> <laughs> we, we have decided. no army. <laughs> we, decided, we decided to do a special edition podcast on Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace 3D release because we decided it was time to exercise the demons, sit down one more time, and talk about all of our pain and anguish, get it out, and then never worry about it again. Never. So go back on your feed behind this show on the on the iTunes or anywhere else get your podcast, or if you want to go get it directly from myfanboy.com, you can stream it live there. Not live, you can stream it. Uh, you can. We're not gonna keep doing. We gotta it do another time. show. <laughs> Someone's streaming. It. We have to start again. So you can check us out talking about Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace 3D. Just because it had to happen. I'm it was not, a show that meant that was meant to be. I'm not happy about from a certain this. point of view. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> from a certain point of view. From time to time. <laughs> oh God! Go to ifanboy.com. You can read Connor's Pick of the Week review. You can read my Book of the Month review and uh, all the other stuff that's going on there about the things people are arguing about in comics right now. You can go to ifanboy.com slash about. You can see who we is and our social network links. And you can go to twitter.com slash ifanboy or facebook.com slash ifanboy and, and make sure that you don't miss the stuff that's going up as it goes up. You can email us at contact at ifanboy.com or you can call our voicemail line 888-FANBOYS-3262697. We'll be back with the voicemails next week. But call them. Keep, keep them coming. Yep, and if you like what you're listening to, go to iTunes and write a review of this podcast as well as iFanboy Don't Miss. And also tell your friends, help spread the word, go to a Comic-Con, tell people while you're waiting in line for that Adam Hughes sketch, tell them that uh, I listen to iFanboy and so should you. So that's it for this week. Until next time, I am Ron. I'm Connor. I guess I'm Josh. Soy Bibble. See you, Bibble. I was close by.